0: Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the stride power podcast. My name is Evan Schwartz and I'm the host of the show. We hope you enjoy listening to our wide range of athletes, coaches, and experts in the running world. You can find out more about stride at stride.com spelled S T R Y D.com or check out the show notes. Feel free to give us a follow on social media by searching for stride running again, S T R Y D running without further ado. Let's get on to the show. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Stride for the Love of Running webinar series. As always, my name is Evan. I'm one of your hosts for this series. I am joined by Gus. Gus, how are you doing? I'm doing
1: fantastic.
0: Awesome. Well, we're ready to close out the week with a a pair of webinars. We have one today, one tomorrow. Super excited to bring some content to you. If you're watching live right now, I definitely encourage you to press the subscribe button on our YouTube channel, give it a thumbs up as well. If you are watching live on YouTube or on the Facebook side, uh, please feel free to drop any questions or comments uh, along the way. We love to answer any general Q and A's, but any questions you have that pop up Um, you know, along the presentation. Today, we're going to be talking about a story of seven seasons best, a little tongue twister there, but we're uh, excited to show off how it's absolutely possible to race to your best, uh, you know, doing time trial efforts, uh, running different efforts over a longer period of time, but then also to target specific workouts based on your current fitness with a goal in mind of performing well at different race distances. Gus, any comments before we get started today? Oh, I'm excited to jump into it. Awesome. Cool. So, like I said, a story of seven seasons best uh, topics we're going to talk about today. An analysis of seven different races during a racing season. Uh, this athlete raced two times one mile races, a 3K, a 5K, a 5 mile, 10K, and a half marathon. We're also going to show you workout examples to go along with each race. So, very excited for that. The timeline here, starting all the way in January, going all the way to May 9th. uh, Again, looking at a one mile and 3K double race. This was a indoor track race. Uh, We also had a five mile race, then a 10K, another one mile, a 5K, and then a half marathon. And then here on a table, we just see, um, you know, the, the average power versus the distance here. So just a cool little graphical illustration of just how the different performances stacked up. Uh, First thing we're going to talk about is the 3K plus one mile double. And we're going to start by showing a couple examples of different workouts that this athlete did specifically to prepare for their races. And each different race has a different type of workout to go along with it. So, um, you know, showing you a different example for each different race distance. Uh, First one here is a threshold plus a little bit faster work at the end of the threshold session. So for this athlete, they did a warm up. Uh, of two miles at 80% of their critical power, and then two times 10 second strides with 30 seconds recovery in between each. Then the workout was 20 minutes at 95% of their current CP over some rolling hills, a three minute jog at 75% of their CP, and then three times one minute at 105, uh, and this should say 110% of CP with a one minute at 70% of CP as recovery. And then a cooldown of one mile at 80% of their critical power. So very, very basic 20-minute tempo, right around 95% of their critical power. Uh, Three-minute easy jog, then three times one-minute fast, one-minute easy. Just get used to locking into a groove and then being able to close fast off of that. This is a uh, a good kind of... Um, Workout to implement if you really struggle for closing faster at the end of your races, end of your normal workouts. This is a good thing specifically for this athlete that was targeting a little bit of the shorter distances um, in, in the weeks to come. Here, the warm up. This is another really really important thing. Uh, if, if you don't execute necessarily as well in your warm up as you want to, you might be throwing some of your race performance out the window. So this athlete followed a very 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 specific Type of warm up, and this is a trend that you'll see, um, you know, throughout the rest of the presentation. Here is this athlete executed things exactly, exactly as they were prescribed. So, um, warm up was 20 minutes at 75% of their critical power, followed by a three-minute easy section or a a three-minute tempo section of 100% of their critical power, and then a easy section. So, the idea here is to Get a nice 10 to 20 minute easy jogging, easy running, progressing up to that 75% of critical power, and then run three minutes at your 100% of critical power. And this can be a range. Everything we're going to talk about here has kind of a set value, but you can absolutely use a um, little bit of range. So what I would recommend uh, you know, for this athlete in particular was three minutes at 98 to 102% of critical power. Just do a little bit of that up-tempo running, uh, followed by, again, that one-minute easy recovery, and then three times 20 seconds at goal mile power, followed by 40 seconds easy, less than 70% of that athlete's critical power. So you can see here a couple of graphical illustrations just of that 20-minute section. And then underneath that, we have the three minutes at critical power, uh, a minute jog, and then some 20-second repeats just to prepare for that uh, 3K and one-mile double Gus, any comments on the importance of doing a good workout, uh, warm-up?
1: Well, I, I, can we actually go back a few slides to the table you sure. had? Um, so you actually see that this took place on over a period of five months, and mm-hmm all of these power targets are very intentional leading all the way up to this half marathon so everything we're talking about now was designed in mind to support that half marathon late, early in may what is this athlete's ultimate goal what what is their true a race or what is their what is their big goal
0: yeah, so this is actually really interesting, and this is something that a lot of people can probably relate to. Um, this athlete was initially going to target the Boston Marathon, as we know, that is postponed till September. So the uh, races from April 11th, the one mile, um, or I, I guess I should say from from March 28th all the way up through May 9th, they were all um, originally going to be focused on running the Boston Marathon on uh uh, in, in, in early April and April 20th, um, we had to, you know, switch things around. Had to come up with a different idea of how to target different races and still put all that good training uh, that was done from that January through late March period to good use over different race distances. So no wasted efforts in training, um, but got to have a lot of fun. Running different race distances when that overall race, um, you know, was postponed, got to use all of that fitness to be able to, um, you know, really focus on running some good efforts during during that season. So yeah, original um, idea was to run Boston, and of course that got postponed, but uh, absolutely took advantage of the race uh, fitness uh, over different race durations.
1: So just so I'm clear, all of the efforts up to March 28th, those were all in mind. Those were all in mind, correct. I see, okay. Correct, okay.
0: correct, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it it's that, nor- like we could probably actually break this into a, um, you know, A and B section, right? So January 12th through um, March 28th is that, you know, first part of the season, uh, everything's going according to plan. Then when Boston gets postponed, have to come up with a couple different creative ideas. Um, and then that is what the second half of the racing season is. Uh, You know, instead of racing a marathon, targeting a mile, a 5K and a half marathon, and being able to execute well at those different distances as well. So um, any other questions on the structure here, Gus?
1: Well, one point I'd like to make is that you see that we have the power to distance curve here. And it actually looks like a very nice curve. All the points match up. The one point that doesn't match up is the 10K so before before we started here, you were basically saying that the 10K was coming off a really heavy block of training, and the yep. goal was after March 28th that the athlete would actually taper until until the Boston Marathon. Totally,
0: totally. So yeah, we'll get uh, full into the RSS progression, the different workouts done during this block from February 2nd through March 28th, but a lot of lot of heavy training there um, in order to. Uh, you know, r- race a really good 10k uh, probably need to taper a little bit more than this athlete did, but they were still able to put in a really good effort, um, you know, b- b- before heading into that second
1: half of the the race series. Sounds good. Yeah, we can head back to the warm up now.
0: Cool. So yeah, again, the importance of warm up. Uh, if you're going to execute, especially at the distances that are on that very very short end, that one mile, that three k, you need to make sure you have a good warm up. For a marathon, you don't necessarily want to be, um, you know, warming up for a full twenty five or thirty minutes and running some hard repeats during that. Uh, but for that shorter stuff, um, I probably say. You know, half marathon below, this would absolutely be a good uh, idea for warm up to have a little bit of faster running, um, whether that's in, in the form of strides around your goal mile power to two mile power, um, or including some of that up tempo running. So let's take a little bit closer look uh, here. So um, this begins the racing season. The critical power heading into the race was at 307. We'll see this absolutely go up. Um, after this day, it it shoots up to the the mid three twenties there and stays there for the rest of the season. Um, but the athlete was able to run a three K average power of 342, um, cadence 208 average This athlete has uh, typically a pretty high cadence, uh, form power, 64 Watts. It's a pretty good form power ratio for 342 Watts. Ground contact time, 187 milliseconds. That's pretty good for an average. LSS, 9.6. Vertical oscillation, 5.37 centimeters average. So these are just um, some numbers to keep in mind, and we'll put a full table at the end here to kind of compare things um, over time. But for this athlete, 342 watts, it ends up raising their critical power The after after these race uh, sections here, but heading into it, it was a very, very good test effort. They were able to run, um, you know, right around 10 minutes. So a very good maximal effort right in that window that we look for, Um, you know, like we've talked about uh, maintaining a valid auto critical power. This is absolutely uh, useful at the very start of a training block to be able to dial in that critical power in order to have uh, correct um, auto CP to instruct how your workouts should go. So, like I mentioned, this was a double. Uh, so, two races in one day. It's not something you typically see, um, but it was absolutely something that this athlete took advantage of being able to run a hard 3K and then being able to run a hard mile. So, we saw that the average power is 342 for the 3K. Average power for this one mile race was 354. Again, a little bit higher cadence, a little bit lower form power. A little bit lower ground contact time, a little bit lower LSS. This athlete is pretty fatigued from that uh, previous 3K all-out effort, a little bit lower uh, vertical oscillation as well. Um, so, yeah, a great, great result here, a great double. But the main purpose of this was to establish a early correct autocritical power with that really, really hard effort over 3K. Um, that'd probably be right around the minimum that we would suggest, uh, right around that 10 minute mark um, to be able to bump up um, that critical power and get it get it uh, kind of right in that range that we're looking for to instruct the training. Gus, any uh, comments uh, here on this 3K
1: mile double? So you would kind of frame it that it's a modified critical power test yes. in, in a certain way. So why, why choose a mile for the shorter effort?
0: Yeah. um, You know, if in this actual practical race scenario, uh, a a one kilometer, I don't believe was available. Um, So, you know, people might be familiar with 1,200 and 2,400 meter test or a, a nine or 10 minute test followed by a three minute test. Um, You know, in all practicality, the mile was available. It's shorter than the 3K. uh, And it's also fun to be able to try and run a fast mile, right? So um, it still did the job by being able to run at a higher intensity. What we would look for is, again, that uh, 3K at 342 watts. We just look for the mile to be higher than that, right? We just want a higher power, a little bit shorter time. We just are looking for Um, different maximal efforts to be able to bolster parts of the power duration curve, give us a little bit better idea of the athlete's fitness. Um, And again, I'll I'll echo what I just said before. Uh, Running a mile is fun. Racing a mile gives you a, a good, enjoyable sort of effort, like we talked about. Um, a couple of weeks ago, when I, I showed the presentation on a tale of two time trials, I got to do a mile and then do a two mile um, a couple of weeks after that. But r- racing a mile or these shorter distances can be fun um, and it can be a really, really good uh, sort of excuse to break up the regular training routine, enable uh,
1: or you know, to enable you to be able to get some good race results and good higher power efforts in there for sure. So in terms of uh, stress for this athlete, how, how was this a stressful effort and doing kind of two kind of longer efforts? Did they have to take extra recovery compared to a critical power test? Do you think the stress was about the same?
0: I think it's about the same. I think, uh, you know, anytime, you know, for, for, for this athlete, this is an athlete specifically that I was uh, c- you know coaching at the time. Um, and for this athlete, anytime we, we had a race, we would take the next three to four days extremely easy. Uh, And, you know, the the races were spaced out at a relatively even uh, amount of time. Um, But in order to be able to absorb, you know, kind of that stress, we want to make sure that the athlete takes things really easy. But this is absolutely stressful. Uh, When you get in a race scenario, you find that people might be able to push themselves, whether that's a solo time trial versus just a normal training session, just that race mindset enables you to push hard, but you need to be mindful of that recovery for sure. But this was definitely um, very, very stressful to the athlete. So made sure to take uh, a couple days, three to four days, very, very easy. Watch out for any sort of uh, acute tenderness, whether that's um, you know kind of lower legs acting up from being like trying to run very, very fast. Um, in, That is definitely something to be mindful of, I would say.
1: And I think you're you're right. I think we see that in the leg spring stiffness metric on how it drops from 9.6 to 9.0. That's a great indicator of fatigue between efforts. If that metric drops sharply, that, that really indicates that you're fatigued running at those high intensities
0: exactly and like I said we'll be able to um, stack you know some of these different uh, you know tables at, at the very end after we go through all the racing distances um, but the things you know that I immediately look for is they say okay what's the cadence at is the athlete actually running faster what are they doing specifically to run faster so an average cadence of 208 versus 210 LSS drops the vertical oscillation gets a little bit lower so they're using more of that power to move forward rather than having as much of a vertical oscillation but the race distance is shorter. This is a higher, more demanding, more taxing effort as well. So that's something to be mindful of. Um, But definitely good to pay attention to, um, you know, some of the metrics, especially, uh, you know, we've talked about LSS as one of those things, um, you know, to kind of take a look at after hard taxing efforts. This is definitely what we um, kind of expect, right? Having that higher LSS for the 3K, dropping down to 9.0, that's totally, totally
1: expected there. Yeah. Um, How did you yeah. feel about the critical power coming into this effort? Did you feel the critical power was right, or did you think it was underestimated?
0: Yeah, I thought that um, there were no maximal efforts heading into, um, you know, specifically within the last month, uh, um, you know, but from the previous fall, this athlete uh, had, had, had raised longer distances in the earlier fall. And this was really, uh, the first time that the athlete was able to tackle these shorter distances at an all out effort. So definitely, um, a little bit underestimated because there was no maximal values there to feed the auto
1: CP. So after this, you felt like it was, it was pretty good after this. Yeah.
0: And this, the, the value actually doesn't really, um, you know, budge too much. Uh, for over over the, the rest of the training block. So this was a good way to dial in um, the workout specific to that athlete, for sure.
1: So on top of the intentional point, it's really important to put these hard efforts early in your training blocks. The critical power is established immediately. And then it's good for, I mean, this critical power, it sounds like it lasts for five months. After yeah. It established.
0: yeah. And um, it, it's not necessarily just, um, you know, looking at the value. It's uh, an athlete can have a critical power, but then, um, you know, critical power of X, right? You know, maybe let's just say a 320. But then when we actually start training by that, uh, we'll do some intervals close to critical power and just get the athlete more comfortable with extending duration overall during a workout, but then extending duration of repetitions in a workout. Um, so there's a lot of stuff you can do after you do these maximal efforts to really dial in your training um, and really just improve your fitness. Uh, and you know, the, the critical power is definitely one of those metrics that we love to, uh, you know, gauge improvement by gauge comparisons by, um, but for this athlete in particular, we'll definitely look at different race, um, outcomes around the same critical power for sure.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I'd love to see what's next after this.
0: Yeah. So next race we had was the five miler. This is again, a, uh, workout example of. Um, before the five miles, specifically targeting the five miles. So a 25-minute warm-up at 65% of their critical power. So making sure to keep things very easy because the goal is not to run a hard warm-up. It's to warm the body up, get used to um, you know that 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 uh, intensity that you're about to do. So um, this was a, a kind of interesting uh, workout. I, I really like the the setup here of four times 20 seconds. Again, these strides at 105 to 110% of critical power with 40 seconds easy. This is part of that standard warm up routine. Then 10 minutes at 91% of that critical power. Again, we usually recommend about 89 to 91% of that critical power uh, for, for that marathon. So this was ideally somewhere around just 10 minutes at a steady effort, an effort that we absolutely know the athlete can maintain for two hours plus for Um, you know, over 20 miles, we just want to kind of continue that warm up almost, uh, then take two minutes easy at 70% of critical power, and then three times three minutes at 102 to 105% of critical power with a two minute jog at 80% of critical power in between. So this looks like a 10 minute steady portion, little bit of a jog, and then three times three minutes above, slightly above critical power, uh, so that athlete feels comfortable running at a steady effort, switching gears getting in a um, you know higher effort uh, higher pressed intensity there with a little bit of recovery in between and then to cap it off running a 1 minute hard segment at 110% of critical power so ideally what the athlete is able to do for those 20 second strides extending that to a minute and so what you get here is you get a nice warm up again that 25 minutes uh, warm-up easy. You get some uh, strides, some turnover before, then you get 10 minutes at a steady effort, nine minutes total effort above critical power, and then one minute at a very high intensity and a one-mile cool down at 65% of critical power. So again, referencing this kind of mixed intensity session, we've talked to um, you know Tom Schwartz on the, on the show before about having this mixed intensity. I think that this is a great pre, pre-race workout specifically for this athlete that was running a race right around 30 minutes, a 10 minute steady section, nine minutes of volume, slightly above critical power, and then one minute very hard, just to get that athlete very confident heading into a race day. So Gus, any comments here um, from your side about the structure of this workout?
1: I think the important thing to note here is the percentage, the three times three minutes. And I think the punchline is actually on the next slide. Sure. So you see that the race power is 328 and the critical power is 322. So you were very intentionally targeting that inside of the workout.
0: Yes. So, uh, you know, using some of the tools that Stride has coming up with an idea of, okay, if the duration is going to be, you know, around 30 minutes, what do we think we can do? Um, Well, we think we can go a little bit above critical power. So in the race week workout leading up to the race, Let's practice running slightly above critical power with a little bit of recovery um, and practice finishing fast. So, uh, I think that there's a lot in terms of, you know, from the physiology perspective of preparing the body, but also mentally heading into a race. There's not much you can do to change fitness the week of a race, but there's a lot you can do to help the athlete be confident in themselves, uh, believe in their training, and believe in their race target. So again, setting up that steady running portion, doing some light interval work right above their critical power right at that race target, and then finishing fast will let that athlete on race day get in a steady rhythm, be comfortable at their race target, and then be able to finish fast as well. So you can see here on the graph at the very um, you know right hand section, the athlete was able to kick it into a good gear uh, and finish really, really well above their critical power. And that's because the athlete practiced that uh, in the workout leading up to this race. Um, any comments on the actual uh, race metrics, or any other questions about this, Gus?
1: Well, I think that I think that's very interesting what you said. I mean, it, basically, that pre-workout was it was not a fitness builder; it's basically a confidence builder.
0: Yes, absolutely. And this is something that uh, you'll, we're, we're definitely going to talk about more, um, just about the structure of race week workouts or specific workouts leading up to different types of races. Um, there, there, there's a lot of information that I'd love to share about this a little bit later on.
1: For the leg spring stiffness, as you can, I mean, as people know, I'm kind of a leg spring stiffness fanatic. <laughs> um, I always like to draw the connection between the power and the leg spring stiffness. And the value is around 9.5 here. Mm-hmm. And what I predict, I, I if, if the athlete had run this five mile uh, back in January, I predict that would not have been as high. I predict it would have been a little lower. I think it would have been around 9.4, 9.3. Yeah. But since the speed had been built up from those workouts, I think the athlete was better able to maintain that stiffness for a longer, uh, a longer duration effort and not become fatigued. And addition, I think they were able to boost that value up by by basically raising up the critical power.
0: Absolutely. And this is uh, something I think you'll be delighted to see as we end the uh, race season with a half marathon. I think you're going to get some really interesting conclusions here just from what um, happened in training versus what uh, the result was at the end, too. So, um, okay, to move on to the next section. Yeah. Cool. Or or do we have any questions that we wanted to tackle right now or do we want to keep those for the end?
1: Well, let's see here. Uh, we had one question from Patrick Smith and he said we actually answered this, but I'd like to hit on it sure. again because it's it's very relevant to what we just talked about. Is it good practice to document your power in terms of percentage of critical power? I've never thoroughly done it, but it can easily be done in retrospect. So why are we presenting the power as a percentage of critical power, Evan? Yeah, I think that
0: I think that that's a great question. Um, so when it comes to um, breaking down a practical training schedule, uh, there's definitely you know some literature out there. There's a lot of coaching documents, uh, a lot of example workouts like the ones we're presenting here. Um, percent of critical power follows the athlete along the progression of fitness. So if you only were targeting you know for this athlete, right? Um, you know we said that their uh, pre-race workout before their mile and 3k double was 20 minutes at 95% or 20 minutes at uh, 95% of their critical power. We didn't target 295 watts, right? We said 95% of critical power because we want to stay in that range. And then when the athlete has a critical power that increases, we don't just keep training at 300 watts. We slightly increase that intensity and we're very mindful about Um, you know, the general percentages, the general recommendations. uh, Again, I like that flexibility in there. Um, You know, if I'm ideally building up duration and volume at critical power over a training block, I will give myself, uh, other athletes, uh, you know, recommendations of 98 to 102% of critical power, uh, you know, 99 to 101%. Just give yourself a little bit of a range, but be very mindful um, with the, the type of, uh, you know, workout and the intention that you have there. But uh, percent of critical power, I think, is absolutely um, a, a great thing to help follow the athlete as their uh, fitness changes over time.
1: We have a question from Krister Berg here. Mm-hmm. And Krister asks and says that this athlete has a great form power ratio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How can I improve my form power? Do you have any tips to help me improve my form power?
0: Yeah, and, and I think this is, um, you know, an, an interesting question, because one of the things that we always like to say is make sure that, you know, the variables of the situation that you're looking at, uh, make, make sure those are controlled. So um, are you looking at... The uh, form power on your day-to-day easy runs. Are you looking at your critical power? Are you looking at you know 110% of your critical power? Maybe start looking and inspecting a little bit um, more and see how your form power changes at those different intensities. Uh, we're not necessarily trying to impact uh, you know your day-to-day easy running form power, but over time, uh, if we start noticing a trend or a similarity. Over um, you know a, a training block, and then we try to do something like add in um, plyometrics or hill sprints or weightlifting or strength training, and then we start to see that form power slightly, that form power ratio start to drop slightly. Um, that means that we are influencing one of those metrics with an outside, um, you know, an, an outside source of change, uh, just in, in terms of improving fitness in that way.
1: Here's a question I'd like to answer from Carl. And Carl asks, is there a correlation between leg spring stiffness and weight? And that is correct. There is a correlation between leg spring stiffness and weight. If you do not normalize leg spring stiffness by weight, you primarily want to compare that value against yourself. If you want to compare it against others, you can divide the weight out and you're going to have a value that is more easily comparable against other runners.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, any other questions or should we move on for now?
1: Let's move forward.
0: Cool. So uh, after this, there was a eight week training block with a 10k race at the end. The goals, very, very specific goals for this athlete uh, were, 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 were threefold. Uh, to work on speed and I put that in air quotes, uh, by adding in short strides and hill sprints, 10 times 20 seconds at 5k power with 40 seconds easy was the general recommendation. Is it okay to run a little bit? Um, higher intensity than 5k? Absolutely. But um, I consider the goal achieved. If uh, 10 times 20 seconds at 5k power with 40 seconds easy in between. Um, There was also an occasional time where this athlete uh, alternated between short flat strides or strides over rolling terrain, as well as hill sprints so 20 second hill sprints. Um, That is absolutely a focus. And we'll, we'll see this presented a little bit later on. Second goal, again, because at the time the athlete was training for the Boston Marathon was to increase the long run duration and intensity. So this athlete uh, wanted to build up to specific 16 to 20 mile long runs, and there was some mixed intensity in there. And then gradually increase workout intensity to their new critical power. Again, we saw from that mile 3K double that uh, the athlete had a critical power heading into the training season of 307 watts. The critical power floats between 322 and 324 watts over this eight week uh, training period all the way on to the Um, end of the season at that half marathon. So we didn't immediately increase things right away. We gradually increased volume of intensity at critical power over time, uh, as well as different types of workouts to, uh, you know, set the athlete up well for intensity to come. So Gus, any questions about this eight week training block set up in the specific goals here? I think it all looks good. Awesome. Uh, So First thing I want to talk about uh, here's just a sample of the long run progression. This athlete was already running long runs between uh, 12 to 14 miles at around this relative intensity about 75 to 80% of critical power. But we wanted to get a little bit more marathon focused. So over the next eight weeks, uh, the progression was 16 miles at 85% of critical power off, um, so I actually took a Sunday off just to make sure that we were absorbing that training, then got back into another really good three week block of 19 miles at 84% of critical power, so literally within like one to three watts of uh, you know the long run before, then 20 miles at 85% of critical power, 20 miles at 85% of critical power, uh, 15 miles with a progression, so starting right around uh, 80% of critical power, ending at 90% of critical power, averaging right around 85% of critical power, if you will. Uh, Another 20-mile the week before a 10K race, and then a 10K race. So this athlete planned to have consistent long runs between 16 to 20 miles, uh, introducing intensity and extending duration, and that goal was absolutely accomplished. So, um, you know, we talked to uh, Ian Berman last week, and he talked about setting A, B, and C goals for a race. This is absolutely something you can do for training as well. So I would consider this, um, you know, one of the athletes goals uh, doesn't necessarily have to get an ABC letter to it, but they set out to consistently work between 16 to 20 miles, introduce intensity. That's what we did with progression and gradually extending that, um, you know, intensity overall for, for the duration and then capping it off with a great 10K race without really tapering. Um, And I think that this point will illustrate it as well. Uh, Eight weeks of training uh, after that five mile with a consistent critical power, slowly ramping up that RSS, but keeping things really, really steady. So you see this white line is that moving average. Um, The RSS progression went 301 RSS for that week, 292, 445, 431, 482, Back off slightly at 368. That was the week with the uh, progression run, so it was scaled as a or scaled down as a cutback week. 475, and then race week 348, tapering just a little bit, but not a lot. Um, again, having almost the the highest intensity week the week before that. So this athlete was uh, very diligent in building up not only their long run intensity. But the overall weekly running intensity, because I know you have to have a comment here about building up this RSS and the trend line here.
1: Yeah. So I was basically looking at the long run mileage and intensity. It seems like the athlete actually reached the, the goal pretty quickly, because you quickly mm-hmm. flattened it out. Um, why not extend the 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 duration or distance of the long run any further? Did you have them vary terrain? Did you try and add more hills? Did you try and simulate the Boston Marathon course? Or was the goal really met and you're happy with that distance and that intensity?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, the long run is only one part of the training week, right? And so uh, along the way, it's, you, you know, you don't just see the the, the long run as the only thing it increases here, the overall weekly volume increased, the overall weekly uh, training load increased as well. Um, so for for this athlete, the goal first and foremost was again to build up to that sixteen to twenty. Um, as we didn't necessarily want to run twenty-two to twenty-four mile long runs, and then the next week have to back all the way down, um, you know, to a twelve mile long run on on that week to recover from that very very hard um, you know, run the week before. So this was a, uh, you know, very, very cognizant and meaningful progression. Uh, along the way, I, I would definitely say um, the the other factors here is that overall weekly training volume absolutely was increasing. You can see these you know pretty big jumps um, for the middle um, you know six weeks here. Four of the weeks are very very high up. Two of the weeks are slightly down. And on the tail ends, we have that introduction and that outro as well. Um, yeah, the the overall training volume increased along the way, um, but the focus was absolutely to make sure that the long run didn't take too much of that out of the athlete. So as they couldn't accomplish the other
1: weekly training
0: during the week as well.
1: I see. It makes sense. So the long run that was set, it was good. And then you started working on other skill sets.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, again, incorporating the flat strides or hill sprints um, that is a demanding session from, you know, a neuromuscular component that requires some amount of recovery. That means you can't, you know, jump all the way up to, you know, a 22, 24 um, mile run, something like that. So uh, yeah, I, I thought that this athlete did a great job though. The, the, you know, RSS trend line that you see here, uh, just gradually increasing, having slight plateaus and gradually increasing. I think um, athlete did a great job there.
1: I see. It looks like we actually have some example workouts. So Yes. Uh,
0: so there's two parts here. Um, this is part one. Uh, of some example workouts during this training block. So um, first example workout here is six times four minutes, again, at 98 to 101% of critical power. I would rather the athlete errs slightly on the side of caution, and it runs right under that critical power, then starts off with, you know, 103 to 104% of critical power for the first repeat, then down to 101, then down to 97, and then back up to 101. Um, so this athlete, um, you know, if we were, were able to peek in a little bit more on these workouts, the athlete did a great job at starting a little bit conservative, keeping that range in mind. Um, recovery in between two minutes at 65% of critical power, it's, um, you know, half the... Uh, time of the on interval. Um, I thought that this athlete did a great job handling uh, time based workouts and really, really focusing and honing in on that concept of power duration. Um, another example workout here this is something we had a, a little bit earlier, um, but we're focused on extending duration again. So, three times 20 second strides as part of a warm up. 25 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power. Again, the athlete did, uh, you know, 20 minutes at a little bit higher intensity the week of a race, you know, a couple weeks prior. Um, But now we're focusing on extending that overall duration at that intensity. So 25 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power and then capping it off, Simply with three times 20 seconds fast, 40 seconds easy, this athlete is very, very used to that. Uh, but warming up with that and focusing on keeping those good mechanics is uh, is something that that athlete um, is absolutely great at uh, and really, really practiced during training. And another example workout here, eight times three minutes at 98 to one 101% of critical power. And the recovery here was a minute and a half at 65% of critical power. So we get the same overall volume at critical power as we did with the six times four minutes and we're reducing the rest slightly uh so for for this athlete that is part of a progression any comments on part one here gus
1: um i think there's something interesting in part two i'd like to tie in sure so part two
0: uh anything that you want to talk about right away or should i go through this i could go through it Sure. Um, So 30 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power. Uh, Again, we have just had that 25 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power. Um, The next thing to focus on here was, again, extending that overall duration as well. So we added a A three-minute segment at 98% of critical power in a two-minute segment as well. We had about two minutes recovery jog in between each segment here. So um, same sort of methodology that we talked about earlier of doing that steady work and then finishing with a good, good effort. Um, Next example is eight times three minutes at 98 to 101%. I just talked about it in the previous slide, but we tacked on a one-minute hard hill afterwards so we kept the same volume of critical power but we really made this athlete confident by being able to run 24 minutes of volume at critical power with a short rest in between and then also tack on a very hard uh, effort just to again bolster part of the power duration curve but to do a fun test effort and train and change up training i should say um and then last workout here this is one that i'm really a fan of um has a couple different names, whether, you know, it's a progressive fart. Like I like calling it a, uh, a snowball workout. So, um, start with a five minute segment, four minute segment, three, two, one, one minute, easy recovery in between start progressive, uh, or keep, keep the effort progressive. Um, but start a little bit below critical power and then finish above critical power. Um, you know, I've done this workout in my own training in the past, starting with a, a 10 minute segment uh doing 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1. Um I'd call that workout instead of a snowball more like an avalanche where you have things gently moving at first and then you get faster and faster as it goes on. So it's a very fun progressive style fart um but this was a great uh week of race for the 10k actually um this was one of the workouts we did um but before the 10k but uh, a great couple of um you know workouts here just showing how you can focus on some basic tenants, but then also you can change things slightly. Uh, eight times three minutes at 98 to 101% of critical power is a fun workout to do. It's an accomplishable workout, but then you make it interesting to the athlete by saying, hey, if you feel good, let's do a one minute hill, uh, You know, kind of for max power afterwards too. Um, so it really changes up the idea of training and it makes training very engaging for the athlete.
1: What was the athlete's 5 five mile duration that- do you remember the duration of Yeah, it was a uh,
0: 2750 something.
1: Okay, cuz I see two interesting things here. I see preparation for the 10k and I see preparation for the marathon. So if we recall, the 5-mile effort was done at roughly 101 to 102% of critical power. Yep. And now you're preparing for a slightly longer a slightly longer race effort. So was the goal to maintain that same that same 5-mile Effort for a longer duration and expensive. yeah I think I think that's hour. a great
0: yeah that, that, that's a great question. Um, the goal was to get the athlete more uh, more fit basically so um, while the races were kind of hanging there like and just talking through a training schedule practically um, the races were hanging there as, as kind of you know checks in, in efforts along the way but for this athlete in particular it was hey, we know if we're doing this in, this type of intensity, um, you know, we can get this one type of good workout per week and we'll do some strides and some hill sprints as well as a long run. You are going to get fitter. You're going to have less chance of injury because we're not trying to push way too hard um, during the workouts. So we're going to train to improve and then we can prove our fitness um, later on. So really we have these kind of benchmarks where the athlete could absolutely accomplish the um, session. There was no bailed sessions during um, this training block either. So the athlete was able to get the job done for every single one. Um, there was maybe an overall focus of saying, hey, yeah, you know, let's extend the um, a- as close as we can that, that five mile power uh, out to that 10K power. Um, but really the goal was to say, hey, let's get a certain amount of duration per week at critical power broken up in these intervals, get a good long run in there, um, and then get some good intensity uh, either over hill sprints or over some strides for that neuromuscular component.
1: Well, the, the practical implication is that you're extending the fatigue resistance inside a power center right yes
0: absolutely absolutely that is, that especially, is especially
1: important to extend that fatigue resistance when you're preparing for a marathon so i i see that as very intentional yes
0: and um, the, the athlete definitely runs um you know some people run their long runs a little bit uh with less intensity but because we were focusing on the marathon um, that, that long run around that 85% or progressing from 80 to 90% over the duration of that long run, that was really the most marathon specific thing. Um, getting in that good overall duration, uh, but, but at a relatively high intensity, a little bit more intensity than just easily jogging through that long run.
1: Excellent. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the 10K.
0: Sure. Uh, so, 10K, the race state critical power was 323, athlete average 315 watts um you know this was still a great effort a good check in there that lss holding really steady at 9.5 um metrics all look you know pretty darn good um i I do think actually that you know this 10k was relatively flat i think if this athlete ran on a a hillier course they probably could have pushed themselves um a little bit more and actually like output more power um but this athlete still ran yeah a, a great great effort over over 10k and it was a good um, effort after the end of, you know, a hard, hard eight-week training block where um, there was not really too much 10K specific, um, you know, work, but the athlete was still able to run really, really well over that.
1: Excellent. And uh, just to note on the leg spring stiffness, you see the leg spring stiffness, even though the athlete was fatigued after a hard w- eight weeks of training, uh, you can see they maintained the same leg spring stiffness for a longer duration at kind of a similar race intensity. So that just shows that the spring spring stiffnesses continue to improve. The leg conditioning is continuing to improve in preparation for the marathon that of course didn't happen, but they were prepared.
0: Yes, absolutely. And one thing I want to point out too, it's very, very hard to see because, you know, I just ticked on all the, uh, all all, all the metrics here to make a cool little line graph here but the uh kind of darker green lss it starts right around this level the athlete actually finishes with a higher lss as the athlete um you know finishes the race so this athlete is very very good uh trained for that fatigue resistance component not only from a mechanical uh, biomechanical perspective but also from yeah you know that power duration perspective as well um any other comments from your side guys looks good Cool, Um, so this athlete did a follow-up one mile. Uh, So uh, this is a workout targeting specifically that mile, Uh, did a five mile easy warm-up at 75% of that critical power, then did 15 times one minute at 102 to 105% of that critical power. Um, So this is a little bit more forward thinking. It's a little bit of that speed work, again, extending that power duration. So when we had been doing those 20 second strides, uh, at 105 to 110% of critical power. Uh, we wanted to get in a, a lot of volume, so 15 minutes of volume above critical power. That's pretty decent amount at 102 to 105% uh, of CP. But targeting the miles specifically, we just want to get that athlete used to grinding for that certain amount of time. So a little bit of a snapshot of uh, just the line graph here, but 15 times one minute hard at 102 to 105% of critical power with one minute easy recovery by feel. You will notice that the power drops off slightly um, in the middle here. So definitely encouraging the athlete to go by feel. You can see the elevation here athlete is not scared to run over rolling hills, whether that's uphill or downhill, not focused on pace, just focus on keeping that power above critical power by a certain percentage. Um, And I thought the athlete did a great job of executing on this workout. Awesome. Uh, So the one mile part two, if you'll remember, we uh, ran a mile as part of that double uh, the race date critical power is again at 323 athlete was able to execute 359 Watts. Cadence uh, went up by quite a bit from the, the first uh, mile effort form power, again, slightly lower ground contact time, slightly lower LSS up 0.1. It was 9.0 for that first mile vertical oscillation actually really, really low um, compared to the, the first one mile effort. So athlete, um, you know, showed that even, when they weren't doing mile specific training, they were training for, you know, a marathon, ideally, they were able to still run a really, really great mile effort.
1: Uh, Any comments
0: on this one, Gus?
1: Uh, One thing, I'll just note the leg spring stiffness again. So what might be confusing to some people is ask why the athletes running faster, but the leg spring stiffness is lower that's because there typically is an inflection point yep. you optimize your stiffness at a certain intensity yep. and then it decreases this athlete was is optimizing for a much longer a longer duration so this was an improvement over the first one mile effort um, but we aren't necessarily looking for a huge jump or even a relative jump to other distances in this value here because that's not what they're they're, they're not optimizing their training for this kind of uh, they're not optimizing for this kind of duration or distance. So, um, you shouldn't be concerned if you see it drop way down, if you're running really fast, if that's not what you're training for, it's just not, that's not aligned with your goals.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Um, but it was still very impressive. Yeah. You know, for an athlete training for those longer distances, just to go out and run a mile, be able to do really well at that. I thought, so, um, all right, next part here. So next race up was a 5k. Um, again, keeping that steady plus some sort of faster work in. This works really well for this athlete. Uh, did a warm up at 80% of critical power and then 25 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power uh, with a one mile recovery at 70% of critical power. So we wanted to extend that steady portion. This was built into a long run. So we purposely wanted to um, do a little bit longer duration overall uh but we were able to sneak in a really good workout here and kind of that mixed intensity that you that you've seen again so this athlete was very comfortable extending uh you know that 90 to 92 percent of critical power all the way up to you know 30 plus minutes during um you know the the regular training block uh we were able to do 25 minutes so a little bit under that volume and then come back with eight times two minutes at 100 percent of critical power just targeting that critical power right on just try and run a lot of volume at critical power, and then a short cooldown at seventy percent of critical power. So good mixed intensity sec- section here. Um, you know, for for five k's, uh, we didn't necessarily need to do a lot of speed work because, again, one of the um, uh, you know sessions that we were doing each week was those uh, strides, those twenty second hill repeats, um, and then the the long runs were supporting that marathon. But this athlete was able to run a really really good effort at five k. Um, just because they were able to you know focus on that training but this was the the good work that i thought before the 5k was getting used to that steady component just getting it done um, see the athlete had a little bit of a progressive finish actually finishing right right under critical power and then do eight times two minutes in a fatigue state after you've already had a lot of uh, duration at a sub maximal effort um, run eight times two minutes at 100 percent of critical power with a uh, minute recovery in between this athlete did. A great job at that, I thought.
1: So, what was the conversation like when the Boston Marathon got canceled? What was the new goal?
0: I uh, run the Boston Marathon in September, um, but then you know, along the way, different uh, places announced some different race series. Uh, there was uh, talk about trying to postpone, um, you know, the, the training block and shift focus to a couple other races, but all those other races end up being postponed or canceled as well. Um, so the um, short distance races were really just taking advantage of that current fitness um, and switching away a little bit from that that hyper hyper marathon focus and having a little bit more fun with training as well. Saying, hey, yeah, you know what? Let, let's target a five k. Let's do a workout we know we can accomplish. We we get the job done, but let's do a, a good five k. Um, you know, you know here and the, this absolutely supported that. I feel like
1: excellent and excellent
0: cool um so the actual 5k race cp again right right in that uh low, low 320 320 to 324 is what we've seen um athlete was able to run 334 watts cadence 208 form power 63 ground contact time a little bit above what the athlete had done for um you know the mile and 3k lss 9.3 again as this athlete is running at a higher intensity this is very very good fatigue resistance like gus has pointed out vertical oscillation right in line but Um, Yeah, 5K at 334 watts, that's very good for this athlete. It's well above that that critical power. Um, And it was right in in line with, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, workout targets that the athlete had done. The main thing, um, you know, that I want to illustrate here too, is if you look at the orange uh, line graph here, um, if you're watching the, the web version, is that at almost no point, there's maybe one, two, three, four points that the athlete dips below critical power. So the session done before, again, with that, um, I'll just go back here, 25 minutes at 90 to 92% of critical power, and then eight times two minutes at 100% of critical power, targeting 100% of their current critical power, that showed the athlete that, hey, because we have a 5K coming up, you can run harder than this for the entire race. So they almost have that uh, floor threshold, right? Like we typically talk about an upper threshold of you don't go above this because it's going to harm you. Well, this athlete knew specifically because we, we trained for it specifically that you don't have to go below this power target. And they were able to stay much above that. Um, but at no point did they really have a huge spike and then a huge dip uh, a lack of focus and then have to rev things up again, they were able to ride that line right above that critical power um, and do a great job of executing during the race.
1: Well, one thing I'd like to point out is that if you remember one of the early slides where we plotted out the power and distance curve, where mm-hmm. typically it's in power duration, but for this purpose, it's kind of the same. Yep. That out. It just showed that those first few races establish an accurate critical power. And as long as you do a race, it doesn't matter what duration it's at, as long as you race throughout the season, you can continue to validate, maintain that critical power, and use that throughout an entire training season. Because yeah. 5k race typically say race at 104 to 105 percent, yeah, and that's basically exactly where we're at. Maybe it's maybe it's half a percent underneath that but basically the athletes racing right in line with our recommendations and maintaining that that critical power throughout an entire training season so Mm -hmm. we know this this validates that all the past training was accurate as well Mm -hmm. all the past training was purposeful
0: exactly and uh this race was a totally solo effort as well so you know that's been a big talk recently is uh getting out the door getting enough confidence to to trust in the you know the the ability to get things done when you're racing by yourself, um, this athlete ran a, a great um, you know PR at at five k and was able to do that completely solo because they had a target um, that they were able to follow specifically. So great great summary there.
1: Any other points? We have the half marathon now, right?
0: Yes. Uh, so. Workout before the half marathon. Power specificity. I talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, six mile warm up at eighty percent of critical power. This was again during a long run. The focus here was not to do a you know high intensity workout a week before half marathon. It was literally to say, with a as literally as purposeful as you can be, go to the location that you will be racing your half marathon. And I would like for you to run five times three minute sections at the half marathon goal power with a minute and a half recovery. So, you know, halftime work to rest ratio. Uh, And literally just run on the course that you're going to be executing your half marathon on a week from now and run these short, relatively short bouts exactly at your goal power. We don't have to do anything more than that. We don't have to do 15 minutes continuous at a half marathon goal power. We don't have to do 30 minutes continuous. Let's just get you confident replaying the scenario in your head on race day that you did a week before five times, three minutes, exactly at your goal power. And the athlete did that. The athlete was able to, during a long run, go out specifically to, um, you know, I asked them, what do you think? uh, the most challenging part of the course is, or what's a part of the course that you're going to be running multiple times, do the workout there just so you can feel super confident, uh, from your preparation actually on race day. And the athlete was able to do that. This was fit in the middle of a long run, a good warm up, five times, three minutes, cool down, boom, easy. Uh, you know, as, as easy as that, just, uh, again, enhancing that mental side, um, I think is an incredibly incredibly important thing but this athlete was able to check the boxes there uh, do a workout that made them feel confident getting a little bit um, you know of a stimulus right around that specificity that they'd be targeting um, you know a week later but this workout i think uh, it, it is a great great way to help people feel confident in their targets as well because that's another thing um, when you're running a completely solo race even if you're in a normal race scenario if you're not confident of the target um, you know that's one thing uh, that, that you might be missing from your, your, your race day arsenal is having that complete confidence and belief um, in, in your ability specifically. So uh, any comments there, Gus? I
1: think it echoes something we talked about earlier and the importance of building up the confidence. And that's something you just hit just on. I just want to hit on again that it's so important to have the confidence going into hard solo race efforts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, any questions before we move on?
1: Um, Yeah, let's hit the let's hit the half marathon.
0: Sure. Uh, Yeah, half marathon here again, race state critical power 324 watts. So it's saying right in that range. Uh, Average power during this was 312 cadence 199. So first time we've seen a a sub 200 um, cadence from this athlete form power 65 ground contact time 195 LSS 9.8. So this is the longest duration and the highest LSS that this athlete has had vertical oscillation a little bit higher. You can see the course is slightly rolling, a little bit of a downhill, a little bit of flat, a little bit of a uh, false flat, an uphill, a little bit of a downhill to the finish. Um, This athlete was able to pace very, very well. A couple little uh, darts above critical power, um, but overall finish right at, I think is 96.5% of critical power for a half marathon. Um, Smash a personal best in terms of time. We'll we'll show the times um, at the very end here, but uh, I was... Super happy, uh, you know. Su- super proud of the execution here um, on race day. Gus, do you have any comments?
1: Wow, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm blown away by this performance because it's it's um, what is this 97 percent? Yeah, like
0: 96 and a half,
1: 97. Yeah. So Tim, we we recommend 94.6, so or 95, and this is up at uh, 97. So that's incredible. Yeah and the leg spring stiffness looks great as you can see that the it's it's something i've been i've been hitting on it's when you're moving close to that race distance you want the devil to spike you want to optimize your leg spring stiffness for the goal race distance and you can you know that this athlete was preparing for a marathon and a half marathon is pretty close i imagine they could actually maintain closest leg spring stiffness for an entire marathon which would be incredible
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the comments to the, you know, hard eight week training block of running those 16 to 20 mile long runs at a pretty decent intensity, about 85% of that critical power. That absolutely played a factor here, you know, um, coming to raise the half marathon at the end of the season, wrapping things up, being able to be confident of your ability, um, you know, at a distance farther than the distance you're going to be racing absolutely plays into it. And they were ready from a physiological perspective, obviously, because they trained for those longer durations. Um, but the intensity was coupled with that. And they were absolutely able to turn in a great performance on race day, I would say.
1: And it's just incredible to think about five months earlier at the 3k, the legs for stiffness was 9.6. Yep. Five months later at a half marathon effort, it's 9.8. Absolutely shows you how the muscle condition changed over the five-month training block, which is just incredible.
0: Absolutely. Um, cool. Do we want to move on? To, I think we have takeaways here, or are we comparing?
1: Well, we have numbers? the full results next. So, yeah, let's hit the sure. full results. Sure. Full results. Uh, so here we can see these go
0: in order of, um, you know, duration for the race distance. So not necessarily, um, the time that took place in the calendar, this is a cool little, uh, grab. If you're watching this after the fact, feel free to pause it. Um, we'll absolutely, you know, having this as a replay afterwards, if people want to check this out. Um, but as the distance, you know, goes up for this athlete, uh, typically besides that early season 3k, um, where they did that double, um, you know, they just worked on maintaining, you know, the, the specific efforts during training, it ends up reflecting really well um, on race day. Again, like like Gus said, uh, very, very impressive to see that. Um, I think it's super impressive to see, you know, that 10K that came at the back of eight weeks of really hard training, the athlete was able to run double the distance plus 1K with three watts lower, just at the end of a good tapered, um, you know, block of training, this athlete was able to turn in a fantastic performance over half marathon with just a few, few lower watts. Um, so even if you have a performance you don't think lines up perfectly on you know, that power duration relationship, focusing on that training, really, really leaning into um, your ability to improve, lets you prove your fitness um, you know, at the end of that training block. So I think that half marathon really, really took the cake uh, in terms of um, you know letting the athlete feel really, really accomplished at the end of that training block. But again, that effort was completely solo. Which is absolutely amazing, I think.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. This yeah, this this table is a great summary of everything we talked about. Yeah. So we have some questions. Do you want to get to those?
0: Sure. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. And then we have a couple takeaways as well.
1: Great. So we actually have a point here that I think is applicable to this table. This is from Coach Tom Tinman Schwartz, who's been on the who has been on the series a few times and we've had a great episode with him. And Tom has a few points to make that Tom would recommend extending the tempos and marathon power or to do more reps at a slightly faster than marathon power.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What, um, what do you think of that? Do you think that would be an improvement to some of the training?
0: Oh yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, for this athlete in particular too, uh, this is the first time training specifically by power. Um, and having a really good baseline, the, the great thing about, you know, having Stride um, and then having Power Center there, having the mobile app there is to be able to look at what you did in the past training block. And then when it comes time to, uh, you know, prepare for, you know, fingers crossed the fall race next spring racing, next fall after that racing as well. We can look back at these training blocks and say, "Okay, you know, we did a great job here. Now let's focus on something that we were missing. Let Let's focus on, um, you know, maybe varying the mixed intensity sessions. Let's focus on uh, just doing hill repeats um, and then adding in, uh, you know, the, the the flat strides. Let's extend the duration at the marathon power. Let's um, add in the faster than critical power bits as well. So I think that those are totally, totally great suggestions." Um, you know, that this athlete could probably benefit from uh, just, again, adding a little bit, a little bit each next training block for sure.
1: And Coach Timan also states that a runner can have great confidence going into a marathon, but it doesn't mean anything at mile 20 if they're not fit enough to sustain the power target.
0: That is 100% true. 110% true, i definitely say.
1: Here is a question from Carl, and Carl asks, with a steady power output, Can cadence increase or decrease to change speed? I ask because sometimes it seems like I can keep a low cadence with the same power. Yeah,
0: I I mean, I think that's a super interesting question. Um, I'd have to look at, yeah, you know, the exact numbers specifically. Keeping in mind, uh, if you're just comparing cadence versus power, you definitely have to keep uh, an eye on what is your ground contact time look like? what's your vertical oscillation look like? what does your lSS look like? Um, how's that form power ratio responding as well uh, and you know making sure you keep the surface, the distance um, you know all really consistent that is absolutely something to, to consider.
1: That's a great point. I imagine if you do dig into those metrics and answers, probably there it could be fatigue it yep could just be low yeah, yeah. basically fatigue absolutely. Um, here is the question from christian d and christian asks if critical power is based on what you could run for an hour i think that running a 5k it would be standard to run at a higher power than your critical power and evan i'll let you take that one and basically i want you to hit on the point that what what is critical power exactly what is how long can you hold critical power
0: yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, we keep referencing some of the webinars that we put out because we've had multiple weeks of content, uh, kind of touching on similar points here, of when you look at the modeled autocritical power, um, it can be a range of duration based on the individual. I would definitely encourage people to uh, look on our support site, so uh, support.stride.com or stride.com slash support. Um, there's a full article there. Uh, explaining the modeled critical power concept. So um, what I believe uh, Christian might be referring to as well is the concept of uh, FTP or functional threshold power, um, which people typically use interchangeably to talk about 60 minute power. Um, when we talk about critical power and auto-CP in particular, we're not necessarily talking about a very set duration. We're talking about uh, the, the modeled critical power and how that responds to the data that is fed into the system. Uh, so in the article, we talk about how uh, based on the individual, we can have a variation of duration that somebody can hold for their critical power. So it should not be assumed that everybody can hold their critical power for um, you know, exactly one hour. Uh, there is definitely variation in there. And so when it comes to, you know, somebody that might be uh, newer uh, in, uh, you know, a, a training buildup or a training block or newer to running, they might have, uh, you know, not as great fatigue resistance like Gus had kind of talked about a little bit before. So they might not be able to extend that critical power or slightly below that critical power or slightly above that critical power for as long of duration. And so looking at a power duration concept is always important to remember when talking about these terminologies, I think.
1: We have another comment from Coach Tinman and I think people are gonna love this cause this is exactly what a lot of people are looking for when they look at data. But Coach Tinman says something to consider my data crunching shows that 30 minute power predicts 94.8% of marathon performance. And adding in one hour power boosts that number to 97.8%.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really, really think that, you know, as we do, uh, you know, more stuff from our side, as we have great coaches like, like, like Tom Tinman Schwartz. Um, you know, looking more and more and more into the power duration concept, there's going to be so many benefits for people, um, you know, in the recent past, the, uh, you know, the present, the near future, the far future, just of our understanding of being able to give uh, a ability to interpret training and then have full confidence. Again, like Tom said, you can have confidence heading into mile 20, but if you're not prepared for that, uh, you're, you're not going to fare as well as somebody who, who prepared really well. Um, but I'm really, really excited about uh, all the knowledge that is out there. Um, all the great coaches, again, like like Tom, uh, sharing information specifically about uh, the relationship of power duration and how it can make people um, have a lot more insight and understanding into their training overall.
1: So there's a few more points in discussion here. Um, Evan, do you want to give a preview of tomorrow's webinar, and also give a final call for questions.
0: Yeah. Uh, like Gus just said, final call for questions. We'll, we'll get to them if you send them to us uh, in the YouTube chat or in the Facebook comments. We'll be monitoring those. Um, tomorrow we'll be talking to uh, one of my personal friends, uh, former colleague, Andy Harris. Andy is a race director. Um, so I think that this is actually a super duper interesting time to hear from people who put on races. So Andy is a expert race director um, he manages events. Uh, so if you have ever run a race and just showed up, run the race, gone home, you do not have any idea of what goes into directing a race, making sure everything runs smoothly. Um, and he'll be sharing a ton of insights on in a normal world what goes into race directing, but then also um, his thoughts on virtual races and how people can better understand when they show up to races, what the effort, has been put into to be able to put on that race. So I think it's a super interesting kind of peeking uh, behind the curtain sort of discussion that we're, we're gonna have tomorrow. Um, so absolutely, if anybody has ever run a race ever, there is a whole world of race directing that I'm I'm sure people are uh, gonna really, really enjoy learning more about.
1: And I'm so glad we have uh, Coach Tin in the chat here because he's running a lot of interesting facts and figures here. And he agrees, he says, Evan is correct that critical power varies. The lat years ago published research showing that lactate threshold increased for runners training at lactate threshold and it doubled duration from 24 to 68 minutes. So that mm-hmm. also uh, speaks to what we are talking about earlier with fatigue resistance. And I Absolutely. think Evan was doing a bit of that, increasing the duration, the functional duration of the critical power. Absolutely. So that better prepare for longer distance races, which we can see that worked out with the half marathon here.
0: Absolutely, and that was, um, you know, again, the the overall goal was to race well at a marathon and then the half marathon was the closest kind of standard distance to uh, the marathon. The athlete was able to shine there. It it is definitely a shame that um, races are postponed, but the athlete was able to take great advantage of that situation and still run, um, you know, superb effort at the end of the training block
1: and i know that coach uh, coach tinman does have a new website and he is offering some um, he's offering some training courses so if you're interested in more of what coach Tin Man has to say and you want to get more of his knowledge uh, you can check out the webinar we did with him but also you can head over to tinmancoach.com and i know he's offering some training plans that are based that you can use a uh, stride with those training plans and you can mm-hmm. also use um, If you're a coach, he's offering some great educational courses on his website. So definitely, if you're a fan of Coach Tin Man and want to hear more about what he has to say, uh, head over to Tin Man Coach or follow him on Instagram, and I think that um, you'll have enough, enough Tin Man in your life, and you'll be very happy.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
1: cool. Do we want to talk about the
0: key takeaways that we want to let people know about? Yes. Cool. So takeaways. Don't be afraid to race. Even if you're training for a marathon, don't be afraid to run a one uh, you know, a one mile, a 3K, 5K, 5 mile, 10K, half marathon. Don't be afraid to race. You can absolutely do well at multiple different distances during the same racing season. Um, and it, it's absolutely something that we encourage people to do. Any comments on don't being afraid to race, I guess?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's not even. Don't be afraid to race. It's it's you know be excited. Right? Yeah, you should be. You should be racing because uh, look at all the great benefits it offered. It it, it validated the critical power. It maintained it. It's it, it uh, prepared for longer distance efforts. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Absolutely. Um, next point: set intentional power targets. This is something we saw multiple times during uh, training as well as racing be very intentional with the power targets. It's okay to give yourself a little bit of a range, um, but be very intentional. Don't just go out and you know give yourself a 10% range, but um, be intentional with power targets. Any comments on that one, Gus?
1: Oh, we saw that over and over again in the training you're prescribing, uh, Evan, in that you were you used the critical power, you set the percentages, the athlete ran the percentages, and guess what? It paid off and it was all very intentional.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Leverage past results to build up two planned races. So this one could specifically be about, um, you know, the two different mile efforts. The athlete was able to run faster, um, but as well as improve, you know, their overall power that they were able to output um, for a little bit shorter time as well. But leverage past results to build up the planned races, Um, having a, you know, a 10K that didn't necessarily go as well as a 5K, then you can smash a half marathon at the end of the block, is what we saw for this athlete. Any comments there, Gus? Well, I, I,
1: what I what I really like is that um, is that the early races established critical power, and that critical power was crucial to actually building up. Without the critical power, you just can't you just can't do a whole lot. You can't get as much out of the power, so. You leverage those results, both the power duration curve, get the critical power, and then use the critical power to plan the races, which is absolutely which is what we love. We love that.
0: Totally. Uh, be patient. Breakthroughs will come. Again, this is just looking at you know, if in January the athlete set goals of saying, "Hey, you know what? In in May, I want to run a half marathon." At this point, and then along the way, uh, you know, like all training, uh, there are some struggles, there are some great workouts, there are some workouts that don't go as well. Uh, be patient, breakthroughs will come in the training if you just stay focused, stay diligent. I think.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that was proven by the by the half marathon at the end. There's there's the breakthrough. That's the big payoff after uh, five months of of great training.
0: Absolutely. And then uh, your questions. That was all we had here for. Uh, our, our presentation. We hope you really enjoyed. Uh, last call for questions uh, before we wrap up today.
1: So we do a few more. Uh, Coach Timman clarified that the that the study he referenced doubled the lactate threshold from thirty four to sixty eight minutes, which was mm. exactly doubled. I, I originally misstated that as twenty four minutes. It's thirty four minutes, and it doubled with the with by training at lactate threshold, which is quite interesting. Absolutely. Um, we have a question here from Curtis Eubanks. And Curtis asks, I train with power, but I do not look at it during a race. Do you recommend watching your power while you're racing? Yeah, I definitely
0: do. I think that, um, you know, we've added a lot of functionality there from our side in terms of using the Apple Watch app uh, while running, using the Stride workout app on your Garmin. Um, I think that those are two uh, great tools that that we've talked about a little bit on on the show. I know in the past, Um, but I definitely recommend, uh, you know, not taking a peek at your watch every 10 seconds, but if you have the ability to, um, you know, set some sort of alert uh, through like some of the options I just mentioned, I think it's a great uh, little reminder just to keep yourself in check. Um, I I do think that if you train enough with stride, you do get a very good uh, feeling specifically, um, you know, running uphills, running downhills, getting in a good steady effort. I think that if you practice using it in training, you can absolutely put that training to good use in, in, in the race by knowing when you should look at it. Uh, and if you do have ranges set up to keep you uh, honest, especially in the first, um, you know, 10% of a race, uh, making sure that you stay at a certain threshold uh, that you know you should not go above, but then also having that threshold that we talked about in the 5K example of you do not have to go below this power target. Uh, make sure you stay above that.
1: Yeah, I think you should always be looking at your power target. The only exception would be, and which is something actually Coach Tenman talked about, was if you're running a time trial and you don't know your power numbers yet, and you just need to establish some values then that's the only time you probably should not be looking at it otherwise you should probably have a power target going in the race and if you don't have a power target you can usually establish a rhythm and then use that power target when running uphills or downhills to maintain that rhythm totally totally so let's see here um that just about wraps everything up here. I don't think I have any more statements or questions that would be that we should insert in. So I think that is I think that's good.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching. We really do appreciate it. Uh, guess I know you usually like to tell people about the uh, stocking status of Stride right now.
1: Yeah. So there's been great demand. I was posting to the community the other day and that there is an all time demand and interest in running power. And I think that's for a lot of reasons. But also, I just think that the uh, that's why we named the series uh, for the love of running. I think people will find running a great, uh, a great haven, a great retreat during these times. So. If you are running and you do want to run with Stride, we do have Stride available. So you should head over to store.stride.com and we still do have stock of Stride. So if you get that order in, we can, we can ship that out and you can be running with power early next week.
0: Absolutely. Um, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in again. Uh, please feel free to like and subscribe. Uh, if you found this useful, share it with a friend. Uh, we'll also be doing a audio version of this. Uh, really excited to keep expanding the series. Look for a, another webinar tomorrow. Again, like I mentioned, we'll be talking to a race director and we look forward to bringing on uh, more guests and giving you more subjects here in the next couple of weeks.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Awesome.
0: Bye-bye.